The following contains discussion of domestic violence which may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. Hi, and welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. Today, we will be talking with Carrie Clark, Executive Director with Alternatives to Violence. Alternatives to Violence serves Loveland, Colorado and Southern Larimer County by providing free shelter, advocacy, education, and resources for people impacted by domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. Since 1982, Alternatives to Violence has offered victims the opportunity to heal both emotionally and physically in a supportive environment. Each year, they provide emergency shelter, safety planning, advocacy, information, and referrals to local resources, crisis intervention, and in some cases, longer-term housing to over 800 people. I know that you have served in our community in multiple different areas in this type of population that you're serving, but tell me a little bit more about your background and how did you get involved in the work that you're doing? So my background started out in nonprofits uh, many, many years ago. I hate to say that because it ages me, but it does. Many years ago, I started in development for a oral deaf learning center uh, for children and really decided that I love nonprofits and I love helping people. So I moved on. Um, my family and I had moved to Idaho and when in Idaho, I was the executive director of a substance abuse prevention agency. And in that, we worked very closely with the local domestic violence shelter. Substance abuse prevention and domestic violence are very similar. They seem to go hand in hand quite a bit. So when we moved to Fort Collins with my lovely family for my husband's work, I reached out to some of the agencies that we have here. And one of them was Alternatives to Violence, where I'm at now, and another agency up in Fort Collins. And I actually started off up there doing development as well and really just developed a passion for domestic violence and dealing with people and helping people who have experienced it. And fortunately, I was lucky enough to get hired in the role I'm at now, almost two years ago now. So I am the executive director of Alternatives to Violence. And it's a little different than a normal domestic violence shelter because that's not all we are. Uh, The agency provides resources, education, advocacy and shelter for victims, not only of domestic violence, but also of sexual assault and human trafficking. Talk to me about some of the different services. And I mean, I know that we're entering into like sensitive material and I know that you can't necessarily share some of the stories, but because I did know you when you worked at the other organization in Fort Collins and I even got to visit it there. So I understand that particular layout 
of services that you guys were able to provide. And you saying that alternatives to violence does some different things, you know, with the shelter in, and with the resources that you're able to provide, how do people find you? First of all, let's start there. How do people find you? A lot of that is community awareness, getting the word out, knowing that we're there. Fortunately, in Loveland, a lot of people know about alternatives to violence because we have been around since 1982. I'm proud to say I was a little girl at that time. Some women in the community started the organization because there was an issue with women being abused. So the original name of alternatives to violence was actually the battered women's task force. And it started with a couple of women in the basement of a local church. And it's moved on from there. And it's moved on not only in name, but in our mission. And the name switched to alternatives to violence because it we realized that it's not just women who are battered. And it's not just being battered that people have to deal with in violence. So it has evolved that we do have the different areas and the different programs. For years, we were just advocacy therapy based. So most people would come in and get therapy. We've evolved as well that we've gone to straight advocacy based, which means that we're helping people who are in immediate need. People who are just experiencing seeing violence, whether it's domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, if they were some other kind of victim of a crime, kidnapping. Uh, we've had a few clients who were victims of kidnapping. They don't want therapy right away. They don't need therapy right away. Eventually, they will. But what they need immediately is help and taking care of those immediate needs. Sometimes that's finding a safe place to live, which is why about three years ago, we opened our shelter. For years, it was just done as an outreach program and met. And we realized, although there's a shelter in Fort Collins, there's one in Longmont, there was a high, high need. So we had some great support from the community and were able to open our shelter, which is more like a house uh, with a lot of security, <laughs> nicely. So we do have eight bedrooms and can sleep up to 22 people at a time in our shelter. And what are some of the stipulations and how long can they stay in your shelter? Well, that's great. Typically, it started off that they could stay up to six weeks. And our advocates and case managers would help the clients to get back on their feet, whether that was finding housing, finding family or friends to stay with. And housing in Northern Colorado is not easy to find. So about two years ago, when I, when I came in, we actually extended the stay. So it's up to eight weeks now, and we still work really hard to get people in a stable situation. Currently, during the COVID-19 pandemic that we have going on, we have actually put a hold on all exits because we know that people who are staying in the shelter cannot. There's just not the availability right now to be able to find other resources. They can't travel anywhere. In fact, we have somebody currently who is staying in our shelter without going into too much detail, again, the confidentiality, who has a stable place to go to in another state. And she can't get to that state safely and doesn't feel comfortable to. So that's why we have said until as things go on and as we do this now, we will let the people who are currently staying in the shelter, we're there for them. 
if they are still able to move on in different situations, wonderful. The only drawback to longer stays, and this goes for any shelter, any domestic violence shelter, is that you're then giving up space for people who need it to come in. And that's really difficult for us. It's the balancing act of having people stay safe for a while versus people who need it and we don't have the space. Totally understand. It's funny because people don't think about stay-at-home orders or you know, social distancing and that people are staying at home. So for these people, like you're talking about space and rotating people through because there, there is that need or that there was a certain need before all of this. And I feel like some of the needs have changed because of, we could name anything. We could name, you know, jobs being, you know, being laid off and not getting that income in or the frustrations of doing work at home with family members, you know, present, you know, there's a lot of stuff. So I feel like we have to bring light to the fact that there's a higher need, I should say, of either whether it's domestic violence, you know, I don't know if there are people out there still working on human trafficking right now, you know? I don't think people stop it for yeah, I don't a either. pandemic, just, unfortunately. Right. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> that was kind of silly, but I was thinking like, we've got to make sure that we still take care of our people and our families and our communities. And, you know, what are, are some of the things that you've seen because of this pandemic that, you know, like you said, you, you really can't rotate people through. So what are some of the things that you're noticing that you might be asking of community members or people that are listening to this while we're going through this pandemic of whether it's things that they can be aware of, or I don't even know how you would find possible um, shelter options even. Talk me through the thought process of what your organization is going through right now. Absolutely. And you hit it on the nail head there with the stay-at-home orders, even Colorado moving into safer at-home orders or other states who may be adjusting. The fact of the matter is it's safer to stay at home for most of us, not all of us. Isolation is already a regular tactic that abusers use, and it's something that can easily be manipulated right now to further control and isolate their victims and survivors. They keep them away from friends and family. So abusers right now are like, perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the opportunity I needed. There's a lot of gaslighting that's going on. Abusers will use that, get the gaslighting tactic to stay, say, you need to stay here. You need to stay with me. You need to not go anywhere because you could die. You could pick up the virus. It's very contagious. They can also be abusive in that they might be ultra worried about the virus. So they may control their their partner and saying, wash your hands, scrub your hands till they're raw. It's your fault if you bring the virus into the house. And then as you touched on earlier, stress, job losses, other COVID-19 pressures are there. And they don't cause abuse. Let's be clear on that. These stressors are not going to cause people to be abusive because it's already a pattern of power and control. And it's not an individual, one individual act of violence. So someone who's abusive doesn't just suddenly become violent and controlling because they've lost a job or they're under uh, stay-at-home orders. However, they take advantage of the stressful situation and gain more control. And that's what we don't 
want to see. So that was part of the conversation that you asked. And the question on that is we realize that. We know those things are happening uh, in the world. So we want to let people know we're here. It is also complicated to do that. We have a 24-hour crisis line that people can call. Many agencies do. If any of your listeners are in other areas, most areas of the country, and definitely the state of Colorado, have 24-hour crisis lines. There's also a national crisis line. However, if you're stuck at home with your abuser, it might be difficult to sneak out and get a phone call in if you need help. So we're really trying to think of innovative ways to reach people and to know we're there. Um, we're starting to put together a text line where perhaps people can text code words. Uh, really one of the things that we do if they, because shelter is only one issue if they escape. It's trying to find shelter. And many, many shelters right now, especially in the state, are full because of this situation. They are also extending the no exits for other people. So it's limiting space. There is funding and availability, and we can help as well for temporary hotel stays to get people out of the situation. But that's only one step. That's the final step. Getting the initial help they need is the issue. So I would say a good portion of the calls that we take, we really help with what we call safety planning. So things like, here's what you want to plan for the future. Don't go in rooms that are going to perpetuate violence. Have your kids know phone numbers or neighbors to go to if anything goes wrong. Things, just advice like that. Safety advice on who can you call if there's a situation. Can you think of a code word with your neighbor and friends so that if you need immediate help? And that's just advice that is for the victims to try to reach out to them. We also, in the question that you were pointing out, is how we make the community aware. Even if you're not a victim of violence, my guess is that most people know somebody who is in an abusive situation. You might not even know that you know somebody that's in an abusive situation. So always being well-read in the topic of domestic violence, looking for red flags, for your loved ones. Um, isolation is a big one. So if it seems like your friend or your family member is being even more isolated, we know this time it's kind of hard to see, right? Because everybody's isolated right now. But if your friend or family member is being kept from calling you for advice or help or anything like that, try to reach out as much as you can. So that's a, a lot of the advice that we're giving now is if you're worried about it, pick up the phone and call. Suggest Zoom calls. A lot of abusers are keeping things like cleaning supplies and soap as they're using it as a tactic. Well, I'll give it to you when you need it. So check with people and bring it. Drop it off on their doorstep. See if you can make eye contact some way so that you know they're okay. It's a lot of information coming out. I know, no, but that's awesome because I'm thinking, you know, it's exactly, first of all, there's a couple of really good things that you said. I'm really glad that you clarified that COVID-19 does not cause abuse. Like that's a huge point that I wanted to make sure that we pointed out and brought that up again and that it doesn't cause the abuse, you know, because it is something that it was there already. <clears throat> it was happening. So I love that you clarified that because that made a lot of sense. And then, you know, sitting here thinking, you know, the first thing that people think of is the shelter, getting them away or getting them safe. 
But you just made some great points about some of the ways that this power trip, basically, which is what it is, you know, and, and how they're using even soap and, and cleanliness, right? Or the, of the fear tactic of if you leave, you're going to die, you know, things like that. Um, again, a power thing is what these abusers are doing. And then I kind of sat while you were sitting there talking, thinking about, well, how I'm just imagining somebody at their home. Like you said, when are they going to get a chance to grab their phone and make that phone call? Like you think it's so easy, but it's not. When are they going to be able to, it's not like they can just get their phone or their computer and search alternatives to violence and look at what are the services, you know? So it's almost like, it's like exactly what you said. It's almost like friends and family have to be the one that that's aware and then they are the ones that are going to have to reach out. I love the solutions that you came. Make that phone call. Make that touch point. Check in on them. Drop something off on their step. Well, let's not use social distancing as an excuse because we can still connect to somebody, right? Absolutely. Going that route of my thought process where it's not really us hoping that the victim themselves has the chance to look at your services and what can help them. But let's talk about this awareness piece of getting other people involved. On your website, do you have a checklist? Do you have some signs that people can be looking for? I mean, because everybody's going out grocery shopping, even though it's once a week or whatever, anything that they could be watching for. Absolutely. Our website, if anybody wants to go there, is simplealternativestoviolence.org. We have a red flag list posted on there. So things to watch out for with those that you love to see if it experiences it. Now, I'm sure all of us at some point or another say, I think her husband is mean to her. It's not just being mean. There are things to watch out for, but it is a pattern of behaviors. So domestic abuse is considered a pattern of behaviors under power and control. There is a great thing that people can Google and look up or find it on our website called the power and control wheel. And it talks about the things that they use. It's not just physical violence. There's sexual violence, financial violence. Imagine this now, too, if people have lost jobs. Oh, you can't do anything because I make the money. I'm in charge. You can't go to work. You take care of the kids. Religious violence, that one, people will hold religion, you know, keep it and use it as a power method. Well, God said you can't do that or our religion said you have to obey me, things like that. And remember that domestic abuse is not just a woman being abused by a man. Uh, the national statistic is one in three women experience domestic violence in their lifetime and one in four men. So it's not that far off. So we are really alternatives to violence is here to help any, any identifying gender. And don't just think of it that way. Well, he's a man, she's kind of mean, but it's, it's all good. You know, she's just powerful, things like that. We can realize that it can happen to any gender and we really need to watch for that. So a lot of asking questions, people who are being abused are not going to say, oh, yeah, I'm being abused. Come and help me. So really, it's digging. It's asking. It's looking up those red flags and asking questions. They may not even realize that the power that's being held above them is abuse. 
I have experience of this in my life. I have family members and friends who have been in abusive situations. And fortunately, they're all out now, my very closest uh, family and friends. But we actually just had to talk about it recently, that there are things that they didn't recognize until they were out of the relationship, that those were abusive tactics that their spouse at the time or their partner was using on them. And when you're in the midst of it, you don't always realize it. Which is super interesting because, I mean, I really do think that it's the family and loved ones in the community that has to be more aware, concerned, and take those action steps of reaching out. So walk me through some great questions, whether you see it as both a stranger, like whether it's in the grocery store or something like that, or with whether it's with a loved one. Walk me through some great questions because it's it I feel like it's teetering on such sensitive material like you said some people don't even know until they're out of it so how what are some easy questions whether you're approaching a stranger or whether you're approaching a family member or a loved one to start that conversation up starting a conversation is a key one whether it is really a stranger or a loved one strangers might look at you weird but how many times have you been out there that you see somebody that it does not look like a good situation if you have the opportunity to approach and say do you need help can i help you is everything okay they may balk and say i don't know what you're talking about go away it's always good to have numbers on you whether it's your local domestic violence sexual assault hotline or even a national hotline we actually make little cards that have our information on them so that you can sneak it to people you don't want to give a big flyer right because their abuser can find it and then do something even more harmful if it's a loved one same thing hey i've been noticing you've been acting a little different or that things seem wrong is there something i can do to help do you want to talk to me the absolute best thing you can do for anybody is to listen most people who are being abused whether it is a pattern of behaviors or sexual assault things like that they're not gonna admit it right away and they may get angry in fact it's highly likely that they will get angry at you for bringing it up so the best thing to do is don't judge don't say you need to leave you you're in an abusive situation you have to get out because guarantee you if you do that to a friend or family member they're going to then cut you off and you're not going to be able to help them at all so the best you can do is let them know that you are there nothing anybody will ever say will get somebody to just bail out immediately on an abusive relationship ever the best thing you can do is let them know that you're, they have you and they can come to you when they need to. I'm Kev Cat, and I host No Code Radio, the weekly hour-long show dedicated to spotlighting musicians within the LGBTQIA plus community. You can listen to the show every Friday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at NoCoFM. That's N-O-C-O dot F-M. 
Here's something you might not know. NOCO FM is also a podcast network producing one-of-a-kind programming like the show you're enjoying right now. We have talk shows, original comedy, music shows curated by real people, and a lot more. So if you like what you're hearing, make NOCO FM a part of your day and tell your friends. Remember, that's www.noco.fm. The American Red Cross urgently needs blood and platelet donations and asks all healthy donors to schedule an appointment to give now. With the coronavirus outbreak, it is important to maintain a sufficient blood supply. Your blood donation is critical and can help save lives. Please schedule an appointment today. Download the blood donor app, visit redcrossblood.org, or call 1-800-RED-CROSS today. You can make a difference. The following contains discussion of domestic violence which may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. And then don't ever give up either. So you made that one touch point. But like you said, they might not be, you know, mentally there to know, to even know that that's what's going on, number one. But then also... I feel like if you can make that connection to them, whether or not they take it poorly or they get mad at you or you feel, you know, silly because you brought it up and and now there's this awkwardness or whatever it is, the point is the conversation has happened. If you have the courage enough to bring that up with someone, then at least they know, hey, you know what? It might've been five years ago, whatever it is, you know, but I do remember when so-and-so did reach out to me and ask me that question. You know, because I'm sure that that will be filed somewhere, you know, in their brains, no matter what they're going through emotionally. So, you know, just not to give up and just know that you've already planted the seed. So that way, at some point, hopefully they would be able to reach out to you because they know that you saw something at that time. And as you say, of the not giving up, I do want to point out, too, that the national average, and I tell everybody this because it's amazing and people don't realize it, the national average for somebody to leave an abusive relationship permanently is seven to ten times. So somebody is not going to leave. It is likely that they leave once and they say, oh, it's all better now. I'm going to go back. You cannot judge a person for doing that. You cannot do that. You have to say, okay, no, I'm here for you when you go again, seven to 10 times. And we had a situation, a little story. I was in our shelter at one point and a client came in who we had had in probably six months prior or so. And I looked and we have a lot of people come in. So I don't always remember all of them, but I said, I think we've met before. And she goes, yeah, I was here once before and only for like three days. And I'm totally embarrassed because he convinced me to go back. So I left and went back and now I'm embarrassed. I have to be back here. And I told her that I said, you come back as many times as you want. Do not be embarrassed. And told her about the national statistic of seven to 10 times. And she started crying and gave me a hug and said, that makes me feel so much better. So just knowing that they're not failures for going back and then leaving again and possibly going back. There are lots of situations on why people do go back. Financial, 
living in a domestic violence shelter is not pleasant. It's not horrible. Ours is lovely (laughs) as most, but it's communal living at its finest. You have a whole bunch of people who are thrown together who have all just recently or not recently for a long time gone through trauma. That is just not an ideal situation to be in. They may realize that. And it's better if they go back because they have no money. They've been kept away from working, kept away from their money. They may have children. Children are a huge factor in why people don't leave abusive relationships. They don't want to disappoint the kids. Truly, their partner very well could actually be good with the kids and love the kids. And you don't want to pull the children away from their father, even though he's abusive to you or their mother, for that matter. The biggest one of them all is somebody actually could really love their abusive partner. Love plays a big, big role in that. And even though we say, how could you love him? He abuses you. It doesn't stop the fact that people do. And that's why they go back. So many, many factors that make it difficult. Tell me a little bit more. I know we talked about shelter. I want to go back to some of your services because it started off with counseling services and therapy. Like you said, we talked through some of the shelter options that you now have because you have the space um, in the last three years. What are some of the other services that you provide? Not everybody needs a shelter, right? If they've got family or friends or other resources around, they don't, but they still might need help and guidance from one of our advocates. So we do have a non-residential program and we have a non-residential case manager plus other advocates who work with these people who may not need shelter, but need resources. Uh, Those resources could be obtaining protection orders, developing safety plans once they've left, could be monetary. A lot of times we help people leave. We help them leave the state. So they can come in and and if we're able to, depending on fun, funding, we can get them that bus ticket to go to their sister in California, you know, things like that. We refer them to other resources. A lot of times we do refer for them out to counseling. We also do have some in-house counseling that we do do. We have counselors on contract. Uh, so they may be to that point where they do need counseling maybe just financial help. So non-residential is a big, big thing. We also have a housing program. So people who have left an abusive situation who need permanent housing, it ain't easy in this time right now to find a place to live, uh, especially if you've been going through things. So we have a dedicated case manager who helps people who have experienced violence find permanent housing or at least rental support things like that. It's difficult, but we're there. We're there to help guide them through the process or refer them. If we can't help them directly, refer them to other agencies that can help them. We have a victim response team program. We partner with the City of Loveland Police Department. Uh, We are their victim advocates. There is something nationally called the uh, Victims' Rights Act. So if somebody is a victim of a crime, they are told their rights. And they have the right to many, many services for being a victim. So if a crime happens, whether it's domestic violence or some other sort of crime, sexual assault, anything like that, 
our victim response team will go out on site and be there to help people in immediate needs, whether it's to be a shoulder to cry on, to work on really kind of the big one is protective orders, getting people protective orders, go through the legal process, go through the court process. So if somebody was abused or sexually assaulted and their abuser was arrested, our VRT, our victim response team uh, advocates will be there to guide them for, through them. They'll go to court with them. They can't speak on their behalf, but they can be there to be an advocate for them. If the abuser is going up for bond, our advocates will go and it's too hard for the victim to go see it. They will go sit in the bond trial to be able to update on what's going on and if that person's going to be released. So that's a really, really valuable program that we have. So let's talk about protective orders. And, you know, I know some people might think, uh, it's a piece of paper. So you've been in this field for a long time. You know, what are your thoughts about that? And I, I, I'm going to ask the question, but I mean, do most people comply or have you seen pretty scary things that it is a piece of paper? You know, it is what it is, but it's still good to have it in place. It is a piece of paper and it is absolutely a good thing to have in place, but it does not guarantee safety, which is why safety planning is very, very important as well. You know, I've been really worried during since the COVID-19 pandemic started because gun sales have increased significantly. And part of that is because people are scared, right? They're kind of, depending on what you believe, they're scared of things that are going to happen. Unfortunately, having a gun present in a home where there's already abuse, the at the they have statistics on it, and it's about 500 times more likely that if an abuser has a gun at their disposal, that they will murder their victim. And yeah, things like that, even if you have a protective order, there is story after story, especially in this community of people who were victims of gun crimes. In 2018, um, Colorado does a annual domestic violence report and figures out statistics that have happened to the previous year. So in 2019, their report came out. And for 2018, 43 people died in Colorado because of domestic violence. So over the past, uh, I think it's so past 10 years, the average goes up and down, but the average is about 43. The five-year average, I think it is, is about 43 people in Colorado die every year because of domestic violence. Interestingly, most common group affected is women. 40% of the people were killed um, were women. So you hear stories that are in the news, right? So we hear the woman in Frederick who was killed by her husband who was pregnant, the one down in near Colorado Springs. It's very a sad time and it's usually a current sometimes it's a former male partner people when you leave an abusive situation lethality really increases people get very mad the abuser has no control anymore and they get mad and they might go after the victim and if there is a protection order in place that's great but that's not going to stop them if they come at them 
with the gun. However, it does help if you need to call law enforcement or go through court proceedings that they broke protective orders. So I would never say no. I would always say it is great to have them. That's good to know. Okay, so let's shift a little bit and talk about some um, of these events that you might have as your organization to whether it's to spread awareness to help the community keep up with what's going on, as well as, you know, funding, trying to get your organization and your nonprofit um, funded. So talk to you about some of these more fun events, hopefully, but mostly, you know, out there to, to get this awareness out. They are, and we have a couple of different events that serve a different purpose. So annually, we have a Purple Ribbon Breakfast, And really the point of that Purple Ribbon Breakfast, it's a free community breakfast so that people can learn more about domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking. We touch on each topic during the breakfast. We usually have a speaker who comes in so that you can hear more about their personal experience. This year, our breakfast was to take place on April 2nd. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we did have to cancel it. Our speaker that was slated, uh, and we're hoping to get her back next year since we couldn't do it this year, is Mildred Muhammad. And Mildred is the ex-wife of the D.C. sniper that happened about... 15 years ago, I guess it is now that that happened a little bit more. He was a gentleman in the D.C. area, Washington, D.C., who would hide behind cars and shoot people. And he had the area and the country in a panic, but especially people in the D.C. area because nobody knew who it was. And he seemed to be randomly targeting people and shooting them. Well, they did catch him. But as it turns out, his final target was his ex-wife. So he admitted to the FBI and they let her know that the intention of doing the shootings was so people would be scared and there would be this random shooter around. And then he was her. She was intended to be the final target. So she has fought since she learned that and her years of abuse by him. And so she's a national speaker. So we really want people to know all different situations that are going on. It is very awareness focused, but it's also a fundraiser. We have another large fundraiser that's more fun. It's it's not such a sad topic all the time called Pastels on Fifth. This is the 10th anniversary this year of Pastels on 5th, and it is in Loveland, very well-known fundraiser uh, festival. I don't even know if some people know it is a fundraiser for Alternatives to Violence, but it is, and it is a chalk art festival. So about three to 4,000 people show up on one day, and they look at all the drawings. I think last year we had 150 artists, and they each have a square on 5th Avenue in Loveland, and they draw amazing artwork with chalk. And it is a wonderful, wonderful event. How does that raise money, the pastels on 5th? So you've got volunteer at, um, artists, or how does that work? So the, uh, the artist volunteer, it's actually a, a great thing. People sign up to be an artist. This year, I think we have a minimal fee just to help pay for the chalk and the t-shirt and things like that. And then sponsors in the business community Uh, sponsor a square. So depending on the size of the square, they pay sponsorship and that's their square for their business. And 
we will match up if they don't have their own artist we will match them up with one of the artists that sign up and it's really cool sometimes it's fun because juried awards so you can vote on which one you like better and it's really funny to see the businesses compete for who square is the best and it's awesome so we're a little worried about that this year mainly because small businesses are really affected so we're not sure how our sponsorships will pan out for that so we'll, we'll figure out other ways to raise some money we also have a golf tournament in september that this is also the 10th anniversary of the golf tournament not sure what's going to happen with that this year but fingers crossed we can do something at least golf golf sounds a little bit more doable than three to four thousand people at one location right so. right however i'm 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 always thinking of different ways that you can shift so i'm sitting here thinking however i got some ideas for you on the chalk art thing <laughs> brewing in my head yeah good i'm just thinking since it is the 10th you know anniversary and people are just looking forward to it because it seems like it was something that the community really took to and accepted and these businesses like to do you could still have this healthy competition between your businesses the first thing i thought before i asked you about the funding question about how that, that brings in money to, for you was thinking of doing like a, um, taking those chalk artists who were already gonna volunteer their time and maybe they have a mentoring program. So they could be doing chalk if, if we're still social distancing and doing some different things, right? They could do like a Zoom course or class and they could say, everybody who wants to do this, this is the supplies that you need, but we're gonna do a mentoring thing. I will volunteer my time. We were sponsored by such and such business. And then kids can come on and get out in their driveways and do it, you know, with them That's or, you know, great something idea. like that. Or the other thing I was thinking is you can have the chalk artists do it wherever they have their palette. So it could be their own driveway. It could be someplace where people can enjoy it. And then they take a picture and you post that and people still vote. And then these sponsors will match however many votes people get or whatever it is. So there's a lot of different ways. That's exactly what we were thinking. And we're not looking at the negative because to us, it's great having it in one day, but that can almost spread it out longer and it can spread it out throughout the community. We could, you know, we're thinking of making some kind of scavenger hunt too, where people can find where the chalk art has been done. If sponsors have sponsored a square, this is the time that the artist can actually go do the chalk art in front of the business. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be really happy cool. that way. So we could post them online and have the voting online. So we are not done with Pasta. It is the 10th anniversary. We are not done. It will happen and people do love it. If you've noticed now, Chalk Art has become huge during the quarantine time. Mm -hmm. I love, I went through a walk in my neighborhood recently. I live near a park and I was walking around the park and somebody did a um, trail in chalk art. So they did arrows and then you'd follow it and there'd be a big square that had some quote about being in nature with artwork. Then another arrow and you keep, you know, you walk a couple more yards and there's another square that they did a different art about happiness in nature. And it made my heart happy 
Mm-hmm. And I know that artwork does that to people. So we're not going anywhere. And, yeah. we're really- and the creativity that people are looking for in this time too, and whether or not this goes all the way through the end of the year, um, I think that it's still going to be needed. And it's a good awareness Absolutely. Piece for sure. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. I and people that. can look up, you can see um, past work that we've done or what we decide to do by looking at pastelsonfifth.org. And sometimes it's just kind of fun to go through the gallery of previous things that people have done or even follow us on Facebook at Pastels on Fifth. And right now we've been sharing some things on there about chalk art that people have been doing around the country lately to kind of cheer you up. And there's some really cool artwork. I love it. Yeah, that's really, really neat. It's like chalk art to me is like a sandcastle um, competition. It's like you're taking these elements and these things that people use all the all the time and you just think that it's, you know, it's there and, you know, there are kids that are drawing chalk on their driveways and kids playing with sand and all that kind of stuff. But then you get these artists out there that completely turn, turn it around. Like I've even seen that chalk art where it looks 3D. Like it looks like you can disappear into the ground, which is incredible. So I we had one last year that, that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So look them up. It's great. And hopefully it makes people happy. So, you know, doing what you're doing, what might be some of the either projects or stories that you can share with me that may have touched your heart to, to get you to keep doing what you're doing in this world? Oh, there are some days where I wonder because it's constant sadness, but then there's constant happiness, people who pull through. We had, and it's so hard because of confidentiality, I can't go into too much identifying details, but we've had families come in. We had a, a family come in. She had three children and was pregnant with twins. Uh, in fact, She's gotten a lot of other help here. And it was, it was crazy. We've seen her move forward. Uh, she stayed with us and then found a place to live. And she has gotten support from so many other agencies in the community as well that we all work together. And really, those are the kind of things that happen on a day-to-day basis that make me happy. Seeing people succeed, but also seeing the community come together. And we are so lucky in Loveland that we have so many good agencies that help each other out. Realities for Children, One Community, One Family, House of Neighborly Services. We're all very close. We call each other when we need it by Salvation Army. Uh, When people need help, we're there for each other. Sometimes it's the sadness that makes me continue. There was actually recently a murder-suicide in the area, and the family members of the person who was murdered did donations for her funeral, and her mother and sister brought them in and sat down with me for an hour, and we sat there and cried. I did not know this woman who was killed, but by the time they left, I felt like I did, and it was just such injustice to hear the story of good and how they had tried to get her out of the relationship and the end connection did not go well at all but they had so much love for her and even though it wasn't a happy ending and it broke my heart it made me so happy to know that agencies like alternatives to violence and crossroads safe house and 
Safe Shelter of St. Brain and all the ones in the area are there to try to stop those tragedies from happening. Even though it's sometimes we don't succeed, we are still there if people need us. some kind of help for people that are listening in in to this to this episode what might be some help i know that awareness is huge obviously you know and because of the sensitive material you might not take volunteers on that unless they were trained or approved but besides you know i know there's awareness funding what other kinds of needs do you need like what are some of your asks Sometimes we need donations of things that come in. We unfortunately don't have the space for clothing, but we do send people to other agencies to get clothing. We actually do take in um, things that somebody might need if they have nothing when they come into shelter immediately. So sometimes we'll take in sweats or t-shirts, things like that, that we can have them put on immediately. Definitely undergarments. So brand new underwear, socks, and bras are things we can always change as well as toilet trees, cleaning supplies, toiletries are big. When people come into our shelter, or even if they just come visit us in our resource center, they may have nothing. So we always have absolutely everything we can think of to give somebody if they need it to go kits waiting at the resource center that have shampoo and feminine hygiene supplies and things like that come in. So we're always open for donations. Okay. And can people just walk in then and, and donate that unopened, right? Because you're bringing them back to somewhat of a normalcy for them and to have those, you know, products, those either it's feminine hygiene or like you said, like a toothpaste or a toothbrush or something simple like that. Makeup. We call them self-care items. We love our self-care items too. Donations of makeup and nail polish and things like that. Yeah, they can either bring them by our resource center, which is listed on our website, or they can call beforehand. And at this time, as things are going on, it's always best to call beforehand. We're, we're running on a scarce staff at a time. Yes, we are. We we really are. We've got everybody sticking in there so far. We're absolutely needed. So we haven't had to lay anybody off. We're here for clients. Strangely enough, our numbers actually for the month of March went down a little bit. And we do predict a lot of other agencies that I've talked to in Colorado are experiencing the same thing. And we believe that's because People who are being abused cannot get to the phone and cannot call us. However, we think that it's going to go in waves and that pretty sure here we're we're actually almost expecting by next week that it will totally pick up again and go crazy. And we're just expecting waves. What about food too? Because I know that you mentioned that it's basically just a big, large house. You know, how are you guys getting the food there? And do you have a cook or do families take turns cooking or how does that all work there too? And do you need food donations? It is survival of the fittest and cooking for themselves. But, you know, one of the things that I love is seeing people who come in there, like make food for the entire house and say, everybody come down and eat. I love seeing that. We do supply all the food. Uh, We have a great partnership with the Food Bank of Larimer County. 
So we get a lot of the food from there. And then we have some lovely group of ladies. They have developed a club, I guess it is. They're called Hand to Hand. And there are three different groups. And these wonderful women meet every other month. Each group does. And they collect money and they talk through ideas of things that might help us. And that money is specifically for emergency reasons and it is a lifesaver so we use their funds to help us supplement the food that we can't get so that we can get fresh food we can get the meats that they need things that people are allergic to and we use those funds from the hand-to-hand ladies as well as other emergency things if somebody needs a cell phone the funds that they raise help us get cell phones they Let's see what else we've done. Eyeglasses. Again, bus tickets to go stay with their family member. Things like that. Sometimes medical, pharmaceutical items. Thing. So one last question I have for you is, what might be one piece of advice that you have for my listeners on taking that step to make the world a better place? My one advice is to be there for those that you love family, friends, know that they have somebody to go to and be the light shining in their lives because they may not have that light at home. So always be as positive as you can and just know that the people that you are friends with, family, the people that you love, that you are always there for them no matter what. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World and thank you NOCO FM for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NOCO FM.